Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. O-G. Make some noise! everyone i'm russ salzberg and i want you all to listen up and get a load of this he has been described as the last of the great old school new york trial lawyers he's been involved in some of the most polarizing cases this city has ever seen and he's still going strong his name stephen murphy and he's with me now so like i said listen up because you're really gonna wanna get a load of this all right, so without further ado, let me welcome in Mr. Steve Murphy. Steve, thanks so much for being here. Really. Thank you, Russ, for having me. Listen, uh, there, there's tons that I want to talk about, about your brilliant career, you know, from Howard Beach and Bensonhurst and Jimmy Burke, but let's talk about, you know, the one big creep, I, I would say three. You've got Epstein, Weinstein, and R. Kelly, but let's focus on... Uh, Mr. Jeffrey Epstein right now. You know, where shall we start, Counselor? Well, uh, first of all, I, I think you have to consider one thing. How many people really knew about what was going on? Because you know what? I think we all understand. Animals wouldn't let you do this to their cubs. What most people don't understand is when, when we condone this conduct, we all, we all lose something. Everybody loses something. Everybody thinks that the whole world works in a vacuum, that nobody understands anything else that's going on. This was investigated. There was a 53-page indictment created on this in the Southern District of Florida. Who worked on that? FBI agents had to work on it. U Assistant U.S. attorneys had to work on it. Ask yourselves, where were they for the last 12 years? Well, that, where were they? That, that, that's my question to you, though, because I, I see how animated and upset you are. Now, now you, just to cut you off for a second, you have defended killers, bank robbers, mobsters, drug dealers, drug lords. But correct me if I'm wrong, the one type of person you will not defend is a pedophile. That's right. You know what? Uh, I can think of 10 people that uh, I'd like to kill myself. I can think of a 1,000 people who should be killed. All right? I don't know any children that should be molested. And when you find one that does, let me know. Because he'll be the first person, first child in this world that ever deserved to be treated like this. What they did... What they did to these children and the conspiracy that they were involved in. Look at it this way. Why did they go 70 miles away? Acosta met with Lefkowitz, who was Epstein's lawyer, 70 miles away from Palm Beach. Why did the two of them, you never meet with an with the U.S. attorney, and you especially never meet with him any other place than his office. He's not coming to you. You're the one supposed to be going to him to kiss his backside. You're not, he's not going to meet you in private. The only reason you meet in private is, this was no, if this was mobsters, this would be an overt act in a conspiracy. 
if they met 70 miles away from public view so that they could discuss a criminal act. This is an overt act as part of a conspiracy to obstruct justice. Well, so let me ask you this, because you know better than anybody, a lot of trials um, are, you know, there's the court that you work in, then there's the court of public opinion, and they're tried in the media. What I didn't understand, or and what I still don't understand, the Epstein, this piece of shit, committed those crimes, like you say, and, and convicted 12 years ago. I mean, he, he was doing it before that. But, but nobody made a big deal about him getting off then, and now it becomes a big deal? That, that to me, from, from a guy who's in the media, is what's shocking to me. Convicted of what? He gave, he went he got convicted in state court of two felonies and which they covered up they didn't want anyone to know why didn't they want anyone to know what went on here there's a reason you don't want people to know you're doing something wrong that's why you hide it from the public there's a law a federal law the federal law says you have to notify the victims why wouldn't they notify the victims i'll tell you why they knew what, exactly what they were doing. This was a crime in the process. These were, these were two lowlifes meeting to discuss harming children to prevent them from justice, to perpetuate this. Do you think that when this creep gets off, when Epstein gets off with a 13-month sentence in which... He's allowed out for 12 hours a day. He's not even in the prison. He's in the uh, Palm Palm uh, City County Jail. Palm County Jail. He's in the jail. He leaves for 12 hours a day. He comes back and goes to sleep. But you also had also in New York, he didn't even have to report where he was supposed to report. That's right. That's right. Why? Okay. Ask yourself why. Do you really think... Do you really think that if some mobster got arrested for something half as this is such low life stuff that it's almost impossible to comprehend anything worse than what does it God say? It'd be better if we threw them, tied a millstone around their neck and threw them into the sea. Well, that's what should have happened. That's what should happen to people like this. I, boy, I, I'd pay money to see your passion in a courtroom live because uh, you're just sitting here next to me talking well, to I'm me. Just warming, I'm just warming <laughs> up. If I got started on this guy, all right, uh, I could tell you right now, we'd be here for a long time. All right, but, but you've also been a, a, a tremendous, tremendously successful um Defense lawyer. So let me ask you this. And, and this is a question that pops up a lot of times. You know, uh, I'm the father of two girls. You know, they're, they're grown women now, with, you know, the kids of their own. You have kids, uh, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, whatever. And this is something that my wife and I looked at each other and asked ourselves. As far as I'm concerned, this creep ought to have his, for lack of a better term, Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein, ought to have his balls cut off and shoved down his throat. Okay? I, just an awful person. But I, I always, and I'm thinking of you as a defense guy, even though I know you loathe pedophiles. I'm saying kids, you know, traveling, getting on plane or going someplace, or, you know, going to this guy's house all the time. Where are the parents? Well, uh, you know, obviously, listen, most predators don't pick on kids from rich families who have a lot of oversight. Predators pick on people who are kids who are homeless, kids who come from uh, families uh, that are one, one parent families where the mother's working, the child's on their own. A predator goes for the weakest, just like. An animal, when an animal's hunting, he goes for the weakest of the prey. But this this, this guy's a predator. But this predator also had recruiters. Of course he had recruiters. If this was a sexual Ponzi scheme, that's basically what it was. 
We recruit this person, that person goes for this person. But you know who they're dealing with. They're not going they're not going to Garden City, Manhasset, they're not going to Park Avenue. They're going looking for vulnerable people. And that's the disgusting low life part of these of creeps like this. They don't pick someone who will ever recover from it. Do you think these children will never recover from this for the rest of their lives. He's ruined their lives. He might as well have shot them because he didn't do much work. He did something even worse than that. Uh, that would have ended their misery. All right, Steve, mo- moving on. You know, if my mathematics is correct, your homicide trial record, okay, uh, defending people is 46 wins against two losses. Correct. That, that That's pretty damn impressive. But before defending people, you were a Queen, Queens prosecutor with a conviction record unblemished of 60 and 0. Now, to me, how did you make the transition from cr- prosecuting creeps, if you will, to, if you will, defending creeps? Well... Yeah, let, let let me let, let me put it this way so that it it's easy to understand. And since I'm talking to you, you know I'm not a pompous ass. But I was born smart. Most people who were born six foot two and good looking think they had something to do with it. All right, <laughs> people who are born smart sometimes think they had something to do with it. I had nothing to do with being born smart. I could have been born dumb. There were a lot of people born dumb in this world. They didn't have anything to do with it. I didn't have anything to do with being smart. My edge was I grew up in the streets. I knew how things happened. When I was a prosecutor, when I was in the DA's office, they wanted to put me in charge of gambling because I was the only one that knew anything about gambling. I knew I knew policy. I knew There was a reason I knew about gambling. They don't teach it in law school. That's why no one else knew about gambling. And I, I, I didn't want to do it because I figured I'd know half the people that are coming in the front door and they'd all be looking at me like they wanted me to do something for them and I wasn't going to do that. But I tried 54, I tried the first six-man jury trial. That's, that's misdemeanor jury trials. I tried 54 of them in a row, all right? Uh, first one I tried, I never saw a trial before, so... Uh, I that got knocked out for something I said about the guy's record. After that, I tried 54 in a row. I got 54 convictions in a row. In fact, one of the cases, you know, you, you try basically the same type of cases. So after about 38 of them, I was summing up, and the judge was Joni O'Dwyer, all right, Paul O'Dwyer's niece. And she said to me, Steve, Steve, that's not this trial. And I says, well, what do you mean it's not this trial? Because since most of them were either possession of a weapon, assault three, drunk driving, or from uh, petty larceny. Eventually, all the facts, you know, after you try about, we were doing one a day. We were summing up the next morning on, on the case from the day before. We'd pick a jury at 4 o'clock for the next day's trial, Come in the next morning, sum up on that other case. So eventually, they all started running together. All right? I started summing up on a case that was very similar. She goes, and I'm saying, well, how come the jurors all agree with me? And what's wrong with the dopey lawyer that he's not objecting to this? But it was funny only in the sense that yeah, you tried. We're trying so many of them. We're doing one. We're doing four or five a week. Let's, let's, right? let's, let me ask you this, though, Steve uh, and uh, folks. If <laughs> if you didn't start this at the beginning, you need to go back to the beginning because with me he is um, Mr. Steve Murphy. And like, w- w- as I opened up, one of the, the not one of he's the last of the great old school New York trial lawyers, but. Because I you, listen, anybody listening to you know can hear the passion in your voice and the conviction that you feel and, and believe in. But did you have was it kind of your conscience kind of tested going as I said from trying to put these people away to 
taking the same people and now you're defending them when you made no, that transition? No, when you make when you make the transition, all right. You ha- you have to understand one thing: everybody's entitled to a fair trial. Now, people will always say, "Well, you know, uh, how do you feel about representing him and getting him off?" I said, "Well." I don't know. Would you like me making the decision all by myself? I just because I, I, you know, I sometimes wonder if you don't, if you understand my idea of justice. Because if we're dealing with my idea of justice, I think everybody would want a jury trial. All right, rather than me, just me deciding it. All right. So uh, it's you know I don't live with. Any guilt over represent getting somebody off? I play by the rules. I'm very aggressive. All right, but uh, there's only one other alternative. I'll sit as judge and jury. You're saying that I shouldn't be the lawyer. I shouldn't represent people like this. What would you like me to be the judge? I'm sure if they knew me, they wouldn't. <laughs> well, speaking of, of, of getting people off, um, a case polarized the city, Howard Beach, 1987. Five white teenagers chasing several black across, was Cross Bay Boulevard with bats, calling them niggers. One of those blacks was a, a young man, 23 years old, Michael Griffith. He winds up getting killed by a speeding car. The five white teens go to trial, four are convicted, one is acquitted. The only one who's acquitted was your client, Michael Perrone. All right. Uh, to, go back, to go back to the, the Howard Beach trial, first of all, there was so much. I, nobody's ever seen a trial like this. Nobody's ever seen, like, 40 trucks outside from with media from... Uh, foreign countries from Germany, from everywhere. I mean, this when I walked up, it was like almost in disbelief. What are they all here for? All right. So now, now, now you're dealing with the people outside. You're dealing with the fact that the media is not portraying you very well. Uh, but I, I'm a, I was a big believer in listen. Make the jury like you. Because I did 90% of the cross-examination, all right? Nobody but nobody is going to let you abuse victims or abuse the witnesses for the victims unless they, first of all, they believe you or honestly believe this and are doing this uh, in for representing your client. And that's the reason you're doing it. Uh, now, how do you, what do you cross-examine them about? Well, first of all, if the guy, if the witness comes off as a good guy and you're not moving, you're not moving him in any way, you can't abuse him. You can't. You start yelling at him, you start getting in his face, the jury will look at you like you're a lowlife, all right? What I do is I will take you through things you did. Not not the way most lawyers do it. Most lawyers last year, have you ever been, you, you were convicted of grand larceny, you were convicted of this, you were convicted of this. Well, one of the main witnesses, Timothy Grimes, all right, stabbed his girlfriend. He was also a crackhead. But he didn't work. Now, he's the he came off the stand at me. This is in the Howard Beach case. In the Howard Beach right. case, he came off the stand at me. And why he came off the stand at me is, I attacked his basically his manhood. I attacked the fact that you don't work. Your mother, your mother cleans houses. Your mother does this. Your girlfriend works. Well, where do you get your money for your crack? You take their money. Oh, so. Let me let me get straight. You're a real man, man's man. You don't work. You'd steal their money to get crack for yourself. What? Ha- I, I, is there something wrong with you that you can't work? All right. 
Now he's, I see him starting to really get warmed up. Now he stabbed his girlfriend. He said he didn't know who it was. He couldn't see it was dark. I get the reports and I look and I see it was 620. I then go get the weather. I go get what time the sun came up. I then take him through. Well, there are no there are no curtains on the windows, are there, right? And there's no blinds, right? He agrees with me. I said, well, let me ask you this. You say you didn't see who she was? All right. Well, it was light out. The apartment was light. You know exactly who she was. Now, that was one of a million lies I caught him in. But that was the one that got him off the stand. Uh, so, so, but l- l- let me ask you, that witness who you're talking about, was he also one of the blacks along with? My, yes. So he was one of the guys be- being So changed. he was going to be the main witness. Uh, oh, oh, okay. Uh, that was me. The other one, Cedric, sent, Cedric was a nice guy. Cedric eventually married Jean Griffith. And I, I became friendly. In fact, when well, Cedric well, got off the stand, he asked me how he did. Well, well Jean Griffith, we're talking about, she was the mother of the young man yes. who was killed. Which that Okay, so you get this guy off for killing Jean uh, Griffith's son, Michael Griffith. And then when I, I, did the, when I found this out, it kind of like blew me away. For many years after that trial... You would attend an annual memorial mass, Steve, for Michael Griffith, who was the victim. And as you say, you actually became friendly with his mom, this Jean Griffith. How did that come about? I went on. Well, how, how, it, how it started was I was the main antagonist towards all of the witnesses. All right. And I'm aggressive. I got a nasty tone in my voice when I'm questioning you. And there's a tone of incredibility to whatever your answers are. So I knew I was causing her probably more grief than she ever deserved. And she deserved no grief. She was one of the nicest people that ever lived. All right. Uh, God probably put her through this because she's the only one with shoulders big enough to handle it. I went over in the middle of the trial and I asked her if I could talk to her off to the side. And I said to her, I know I'm probably adding to your misery. I know, but I I wouldn't like myself if I laid down. I don't, I'm not particularly wild over what I'm doing. In fact, I almost feel like crying just talking to you. All right? I just want to tell you I apologize to you. There's nothing I can do about it. Uh, she said to me, you're a great lawyer. You're a great lawyer, and I understand you just have doing your job. That's that's and that's Jean Griffin. That, I, I have to tell you that 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 story in itself is a story. It's not even made for TV. It's made for the big screen. I, I mean, I, I mean that sincerely. That that is some tremendous story. I mean, here you are defending somebody who, <laughs> you know, call one of the people responsible for a son being killed and and. You, it's just a great story. Just not, well, well, I don't want to say a great story. It's a moving story. Well, she came down. I got during the Bensonhurst racial trial. All right. Uh, when I was walking across the street, the cameras were all in front of me. So anybody that wanted to be on television just had to come up behind me and do something. L- l- let me ju- she l- came down and defended. L- let me just you, you, you open up the garage door for me for people who might not be aware when Steve talks about the Bensonhurst trial, 1989 Bensonhurst, black teenager Yusuf Hawkins killed in a, a racially motivated murder by two white teenagers. One of them, Keith Mondello. Your client, Keith Mondello, beats the murder rap, but gets convicted on lesser charges, you know, riot, discrimination, gun possession. He got convicted on the rioting, uh, which we didn't even we didn't even defend that. Right. All right. Uh, but he got acquitted on the manslaughter. He got acquitted on the murder. He got acquitted on all the main charges. Joey Farmer, who was the shooter, got convicted of murder. All right, uh, and rightfully so. Uh, was that was an, uh, another horrible experience in a sense that 
I said to myself afterwards, I don't ever want you know, because I'm a Democrat. I, I don't have a racial bone in my body. And, you know, the people outside initially thought that, you know, uh, well, he's representing these racists, so maybe he's one. It became very clear. I never went out the back door. Everybody on both those trials went out the back door but me, all right? Went out the front door. And I went out the front door because I grew up around people like this. And I knew, I knew that, you know, somebody's got to be the bad guy. But I knew I wasn't the bad guy. And I'm going to go out. I'll walk right through them. They'll never do anything to me. And they never did. There was the one moron that hit me from behind and Bensonhurst. Howard Beach, I became friendly with them. They talked to me all the time. They, when I was doing interviews, they would say to me, can you mention my name so my friends can hear? All right? Uh, you know, it, you, you have to understand, we live in New York. You're also, a, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, a, a product of Hell's Kitchen? Yeah. I, yeah okay, I was so. born in St. Clair's Hospital on 52nd Street. So, so when you talk about street smarts, we know it's street I represented smart. some of the Westies. I knew them. Very well. Well, uh, that that brings me to another guy, Jimmy Burke, Jimmy the Gen. Now, for people who might not be aware uh, with Jimmy Burke, uh, he was what was one of the masterminds of the Lufthansa heist. And if I know many of you have seen the movie Goodfellas, the character, you know, supposed to be Jimmy Burke was that uh, Robert De Niro character. So my question to you is, how did you become Jimmy Burke's uh, uh, lawyer? I prosecuted some of his friends. He saw me and he asked people who knew me, he says, the, li- the, little, uh, the little Irish kid with the nasty attitude from the West Side, uh, do you think he'd leave the DA's office? I was living in a co-op and how I got, after I got out of the service, I... I Got a co-op in Howard Beach, and I went into the DA's office, all right? Uh, while I was there, I prosecuted a lot of people, all right? Uh, I moved up very, very quickly. I got more experience trying the – I tried that – I told you the first misdemeanor trial ever, right. all right? Uh, I got the first rape one conviction in Supreme Court uh, on for on an 11-year-old girl, but I had a – I had more trial experience than anyone who had been there for 10 years, all right, because I got to try 54 cases in a row. And you know what? There ain't that much difference between a misdemeanor and a jury and a, and a felony if you're doing a jury trial, all right? You pick juries. You get to, get to see who the people are. I got to understand who will like me, who won't like me, and I, and I got to understand myself, Uh I got to understand myself from a guy who kicked my ass in, all right? Uh, he didn't win the trial, all right, but he hung the jury. Out of the 54 trials, there was one hung jury. He only hung one, one juror, but the hang the one jury kicked my ass in, all right? He paid no attention to me. I'm very loud, as I guess you can tell by now, all right? Uh, and he was very loud, and he had a, a bullshit Irish brogue. That only that only came out when he got into the courtroom, <laughs> but paid no attention. I I was you know judge said to me Johnny O'Dwyer said to me, please Steve I can't handle you and him yelling yelling in this small courtroom. So I, I I'm playing the gentleman, uh, Your Honor. I object to that. He pays no attention to me. Pays no attention. To, he's doing everything he wants to do. All right. Now we get to a point where, you know, I, I'm, I'm really starting to like him. I'm watching him. And out of the 54 trials, I learned more from him than I did from all of the others put together. All, all right. right. But but that brings me back to Burke. So so Burke asked, would you be interested, you, you know, like moving from the DA's office? Yeah. Basically. Uh, okay. So you go in. You were in a co-op, okay, in, in Howard Beach. And uh, you leave and you go. He, was, was it just defending him or defending a lot of his? Uh... And everybody knew. He sent me everybody knew. All right. Everybody knew. 
I, I represented almost everybody in Goodfellas. And you know what? If you want to, if you want to hear the funny part about it is Tommy D. Simone, all right, uh, which I went with him. He he was being accused of killing a federal witness, all right. <laughs> but uh, Tommy, I like the way you said. Tommy that. was, he was being accused of ki- killing a federal witness. Tommy Tommy uh, was like six foot two, real good looking ladies man. Uh, Joe Pesci is. I'm 5'6", Joe Pesci's about 5'3", I would say. All right? Uh, when I went to see the movie, I said, there's just no way I'm going to be able to watch this and think of, I mean, De Niro looked a little like Jimmy Burke. All right? He could pass off easily. But all right? not Pesci? <laughs> not, after the movie? I never thought of Tommy DeSimone as being 6'2". I thought of him being as 5'3". He played him to a T. That was Tommy DeSimone. All right, but but obviously, you went from, you know, you're, you're working in the, the DA's office, and now you go, I would think, uh, just looking at you, because you, you got the reputation for the sharp uh, little Irishman with the snazzy suits and always impeccably uh, attired, Financially, it was quite a windfall for you moving from the DA to defending these people. I bought a house in Garden City in th- three months. Is, is that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, people always people always used to say to me, all right, well, the Howard Beach case, the Howard Beach case made you. I says, Jimmy Burke made me long before Howard Beach. <laughs> it, 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 but... That he, goes without saying, but th- he sent me. Is that right? He sent me maybe thirty cases. Jimmy Burke himself. Yeah, Jimmy Burke. Jimmy Burke was. If he walked into the bar, everybody in the bar knew him. He was Jimmy. He'd buy drinks for everyone. He was the center of attraction, and he had that type of personality. And he was always very good to me. So let me ask you this: uh, Obviously, a Jimmy Burke. And his friends were financially sound where they can pay you, you know, quite handsomely. Now, Black, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but you, you're talking about pay me the day, the day after they made the money. Because uh, if I went to the racetrack with Jimmy, whatever horse he was betting, I would mark that horse off. All right? Uh, <laughs> Jimmy didn't hold on to his money for very long. No, no, but you know what I'm talking about. But but those are people, uh, I'm talking about people, for example, um, you know, be it Mondello, you know, Perone. Where are these people getting th- the money to afford you? They didn't really pay me that. In fact, uh, I, I, I hate to bring this up because somebody else may try and do it to me. Mandela didn't pay me. They, for some reason, they thought that they were going to raise the money to pay me. And when I first saw Mandela, he was sitting on, uh, his, had his girlfriend sitting on his lap in the police precinct. <laughs> and I walked in, took one look. He had, a, he had a cheeseburger and a Coke in front of him. And I said, uh, has he given his mother up yet? He says, no, but he's getting around to her. That's what the detectives told me. Really? All right? Now, why they thought everybody in the neighborhood was going to pay money for somebody who implicated half of them in whatever it was, I'll never know. All right? But, uh, oh, I got stiffed on that. On Howard Beach, I didn't get stiffed. All right? Uh, but... Uh, but but nonetheless, the family paid. Yeah, okay. But but I, I that's ninety nine percent of the time. That's who pays you. And, and I'm I'm sure those families have to put houses up or whatever. I mean mortgages. But listen, that that's their problem. That's not your problem. Your problem is to get the said individual off. Yeah, but the price on Howard Beach was way below what anyone in their right would think. That in my right mind, I would set. Keep in mind one thing. Nobody knew what Howard Beach was. So when I get the phone call, all right, uh, 
I don't know there's going to be 5 million people and this is going to be a four-month trial and a 12-day deliberation. I have no idea about that. I'm thinking, you know, it's the case, you know. So we're talking like 25,000, 30,000. Okay, fine. All right. It's no big deal. All right. When I get there and I see what it is, I say, oh, Steve, you, you jackass. Steve, you jackass. Uh, who, who knew it was going to take four months? And who knew I was going to go up against? Uh, Joe Hines put together one of the best team, the best prosecution team I've ever seen. And Joe Hines was very difficult in, the sen- in this sense. He, I became very friendly with him. But uh, he had an ability to make it see, see. One of the things that I do very well is God's on my side. God's on my side. Now, when God's on your side, you know, you can do just about anything you want, first of all. And second of all, uh, people will identify with you abusing some of these people, all right? And I can tell you right now, I've been accused of being abusive very often by witnesses and judges talking to me about abusing people. But you can abuse them if the people think they're lowlifes. That's why I always start out with making you into a lowlife. Well, doesn't that also go in line with what you always say? It's important. Not when you always say, but you, you said it earlier here. It's very important for you. I mean, you're, you're not defending choir boys or choir ladies. It's very important for you to make the jury not so much give a shit about your client, but to make the jury like you. Yeah, there are there are going to be three or four, three or four issues in just about every major trial that could go either way. I mean, you know, there's there's points for you to believe that. He did it. There's points that show he didn't do it. They don't like you, meaning the jury. Every one of them will go against you. They like you. Every one of them will go in your favor. It's, it's, All right? Yeah, obviously, now, you, you have you, an ability to make people like you. Well, you, you know, you have to pick people. You have to understand. Just like I understood, I told you, if there was one woman on the uh, cop trial where I picked the uh, one heavyset black woman right. and the f- kid's father went wild on me, screaming that uh, she'll hate my son. I says, I had tried four trials in front of this judge and he was very condescending to the jury and he was not a likable personality. He was a real hard ass. So, uh, and they sent him. They sent me to him to control me. It was two murder cases, two A felony drug cases. So now it's the cop case. She, he starts screaming at me to follow. I hate my son. She's going to hate my son. I said, well, she probably will. She probably will. Your son's not that likable to begin with. So I said, second of all, <laughs> second of all, understand one thing. She's really going to see your son very much. She's going to see me. She's going to love me. She's going to love me because I have a certain sort of irreverence and it comes across and she'll love the fact that this condescending moron that's sitting up there with black robes on uh, is not very likable. And she will not like him talking to her, talking down to her. She'll control the whole jury. If I could pick one person to try this case, it would be her. Now, mind your own goddamn business and let me do my job. And your job? You, <laughs> you got to quit it. You got to quit it. I got to quit it in 15 minutes. And she went inside. I could hear her. Because the jury room was right outside the courtroom. I could hear her telling the rest of them, I ain't staying here for another 15 minutes. It's Friday, and you assholes can talk all you want, but I'm getting out of here, and let's go. Let me ask you another question here, Steve, because this is what I found fascinating. You know, there's there's another case where I said, you know, know, um, a client of yours with with a 9mm gun or something... uh, 
put a bullet in his girlfriend's head and killed her. Okay, and he had a he signed the confession. You get him acquitted. Okay, we're we're not going to go over, over every case, but this is the one thing that reading up on you that really not made me wonder. I'm just saying, how's he do it? You have, for lack of a better term, the balls not to do plea deals, but to go. You know, you, that's putting everything on the line to go to trial. No. One of the bad parts, see, first of all, when you're talking about plea deals, a lot of times people go to other lawyers, all right, and they get a certain offer, all right, and the offers are, you know, 240 years and whatever, you know, I'm not, that, I, you're that's right. an exaggeration, I think we all understand that, but by the time they get to you, it's hard for somebody to say, hey, listen, oh, you got Murphy? All right, you get you get twenty years with this guy, but now that you got Murphy. Here's how justice works: if you got a real good lawyer, we're going to let you off. If you don't, you're going to jail for twenty years. So the the idea that people come to you and all of a sudden everyone wets their pants and gives you half of what they would give somebody else, the accusation. The accusation would always be your control. Justice is being controlled by who the lawyer is. All right. Uh, am I a good cross examiner? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm cross examined. First of uh, all, I wouldn't want you cross examining me. I'll well, tell you uh, that. that. That'd be for a parking ticket. I'd shit my pants. Well, you know what? I, I start off with basically one thing. I start off with making you look. I pick anything that makes you look like a low life. Not a criminal in the sense that you committed a crime. Most lawyers, the judge will tell you, ask them about the crime. But you can ask them about uh, other immoral acts, and the crime can be the immoral act. I don't ask you about whether or not you committed a robbery. I ask you whether you threw an old lady to the ground. You took a pocketbook and kicked her. I make you look like a, a prophylactic to use a... To use a nice you No, know, you can word. use the term scumbag. All right, scumbag. Okay. <laughs> I, I make you into a scumbag. So that by the time we get to the case, the jury is not no longer looking at you like you're the nicest guy in the world. They're looking at you like you're a scumbag. All right? And now, now we get down to, first of all, I'm in your face. I'm in your face. You're not getting any time. Keep in mind, it's my ballpark. I've been there a million times. You've never been there. All right? Now, once I see that everybody is very good at answering questions, if you're sitting here listening to me, you're very good. If I'm all over you all of a sudden and I catch you in certain things, once I catch you, all right, now it's going to pick, the pace is going to pick up. I'm all over you. All right? I'm yelling at you. I right. got a nasty tone. Right. I got that incredibility in my voice that you're full of shit, all right? Uh, and you now, especially if you're telling the truth, it's worse. Because what you now start doing is you see the jury's not believing the truth. See, now you start making shit up, all right? And that's when I know I have you Well, because I know the story. See, stories go in a straight line. When you start lying, you go down here. I'm here. You've got to get back up here to continue the story. I'm sitting here. You're here. You've got to get past me to get back up to continue the story. Because keep in mind, things don't happen in a complete vacuum. It happens where you're like, I left my house. I went here. I went and I met this guy. I did this. I did that. Well, in order to get back to telling that story, you got to get past the bullshit story. You've already put yourself down here. Now you got to get back up there to continue. I know where you got to go. I'm here. You ain't getting back up there. Uh, be, be, before I get back, because I, I want to, one of the last things I want to go over with you, get back to Jeffrey Epstein for a second. One thing that I read, I was laughing out loud when I read it. You basically. I'm trying to paint folks a, a picture here for you. 
you you defended a client, basically an empty chair. He went on the lamb, and yeah. you and you continued. He, he goes on the lamb, and you continued defending basically him without him being there. Yeah, it was an Albanian guy who I represented on a murder before this. Okay, this was a burglary going into somebody's house. The other guy with him took a plea and got convicted of a felony. All right, I said no, 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 no. And the judge kept saying to me, he's not here. Why don't you just plead guilty? And I says, because I took his money. Is, I is, took uh, his money. I'll give him a trial. All right? He says, an empty chair trial? And I says, you can't tell them why he's not here. As long as you can't tell them why he's not here, I certainly ain't going to tell them why he's not here. And you know what? Uh, as far as the cops are concerned, uh, I'll cross-examine them about beating him up. I'll cross-examine them about a lot of things. I'll cross-examine them about why they were sitting there waiting for him. I'll cross-examine them about a hundred things. I'll catch them lying so many times that they won't give a damn where he is. And if anything, they'll probably figure after the beating he got, he's probably afraid to come back. And you got him off. I got him off. All right. Let, let me before we wrap things up, we started off with Jeffrey Epstein and, you know, your passion, uh, quite frankly, Steve, is is second to none. Uh, you know, but just by sitting here talking with you, you can tell why you're successful. But here's the hard question that I have for you, knowing how you loathe pedophiles and loathe Epstein and the people and all those who kept quiet. Put. And you don't like, you won't defend pedophiles. But I'm asking you as a defense lawyer, how the hell, what do you think these, his lawyer, law team is going to, how are they going to defend him? How how are they going to defend well, him? Well, in their minds, how can they defend him to get him off? They're not getting him off in a million years. Well, There's 70, 80 people coming in. No, you know. One person making up a story is one thing. Two people making it up, possibly. Three people, unlikely. Seventy people all telling the same story about being children. No. And listen, I if this was an organized crime case, this would be a conspiracy. And you know what? It's a conspiracy of silence. It's a conspiracy of The people who know what was going on, the people who kept their mouth shut, they're almost as guilty as this lowlife, all right? Uh, you know, nobody seems to understand that what you're doing to these children for the rest of their lives. But, Steve, again, and I agree with you, but I will go back to something that you said here. Every, everybody is entitled to a defense. Everybody's entitled to a defense. But that doesn't mean it's going to work, <laughs> all right? 70 kids, what are you going to make it? What are you going to make them? Start accusing them of being lowlifes? Start accusing them of all being liars? There is no defense. And there's not going to be. In the Southern District of New York, you're going to find out that that kitty court down there and uh, there's no way anyone will ever convince me that Acosta didn't either take a bribe, be guilty of corruption, or be an imbecile, a complete moron. There's only really three choices. You went 70 miles away to do this. You never notified the people. In fact, I'll show you how dumb these assholes were. They started sending emails back and forth about this. You know, uh, I always would, I would always think that, well, how Dumb are these people. They talk on the telephone and they talk about drugs like, well, I just got six new shirts. I've had one guy says, I got a half a shirt. Or I got <laughs> how much for a half a pair of pants? And I said, well, which half do you get? <laughs> I says, what do you, how dumb do you think the police are? Why would you bother saying a half a shirt, a half a pair of pants? Why would you bother talking about it in those terms unless you thought somebody was listening? Now, if you think somebody's listening, you got to think the biggest moron in the world will figure out 
this isn't shirts? Or, or do you think, on the other hand, they all say, oh, shit, he's not in the drug business anymore. He's selling shirts now. <laughs> Folks, you, you've just listened to the brilliant trial lawyer, Stephen G. Murphy. I would suggest to any of you out there who uh, might get in trouble, I would contact Stephen G. Murphy immediately. And besides being brilliant, he's also extremely entertaining. Steve, I can't thank you enough for being here. It's been enlightening. Uh, Enjoyed talking with you. And quite frankly, my friend, I hope to do it again. Thank you, Russ. I really appreciate it. And it's great talking to you. Folks, that is a wrap on today. Once again, I'd like to thank all of you for getting a load of this. Now I'd like to get a load of you. Let me know your thoughts on my conversation with uh, Steve Murphy today. Uh, you can contact me on Twitter at Ross Salzberg. Uh, of course, on Facebook, my website. You can always check out RossSalzberg.com. My thanks to the big man across the way, Crash, a.k.a. Mike Caragliano, always takes good care of me here. To my OG podcast producer, Tim Einickel, 77 WABC program director, Dave Labrosi, assistant 77 WABC program d- uh, director, the great Matt Dahl, and last but certainly not least, you guys and gals out there, because without you people, I'd have nobody here to be talking to. So until next time, it is yours truly, Russ Salzberg, saying to all of you, bye-bye, so long, and farewell. Have yourselves a great week. morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.